This is Franchise Today, brought to you by FRM Solutions, providers of the best-in-class software solutions for franchise relationship management. Franchise Today is your destination for weekly information, conversations, and interviews with accomplished industry leaders, all of whom share best practices for sustainable growth and sensible franchising. Here now, your host, Stan Friedman, to kick off this week's podcast. And I'm coming to you today from Atlanta, Georgia, and Champaign, Illinois. This is a special edition of Franchise Today. I'm Stan Friedman, proud to be presenting this first in a series of special podcasts focused on Franchising Gives Back. In 2015, Franchising Gives Back got its start when a concerned group of franchisors, franchisees, and suppliers all came together before the start of an IFA convention and organized a volunteer effort. As the IFA began hearing more about how franchise business leaders were supporting charities nationally and in their local communities, they decided it was time to do more to recognize those who consistently give back to move communities forward while inspiring their peers to do the same. Founded in 2015, the program operates under the IFA's Educational Foundation, and it's supported by the generous donations from IFA members and the underwriting of founding sponsor Rourke Capital. Steve Romanello, Managing Director of Rourke, said the core initiative of the program is to highlight franchising's charitable contributions. Franchising gives back and recognizes and promotes the contributions of franchise business leaders year-round, from supporting Little League baseball teams and donating food for homeless shelters to organizing marches for cancer research. Franchise businesses donate billions of volunteer hours and dollars to give back to their communities, Romanello said. Big or small, the combined local contributions of franchising create a significant impact worldwide. The Franchising Gives Back program holds an annual awards dinner to honor brands for their charitable contributions. In 2015, the IFA Foundation received over 100 submissions from IFA members to be considered for the Franchise and Gives Back Awards. Fast forward the tape to 2019, and the initiative's mission is to recognize and encourage charitable acts and exemplary leadership in the franchise community. So far, the response from the franchise community has been phenomenal. 629 members, 366 1,673 volunteers have donated 347,173,231 and 2,604,761 hours to giving back to the communities that they serve. When we come back from a short break, I'm going to introduce you to Jimmy John Leoto as he talks about a part of his life that few ever hear talked about, and that's caring for others and lifting up any and all that that are in his orbit. He'll take us all the way back to his childhood days and walk us through the many years of doing well by doing good. We'll be right back for this special edition of Franchise Today with the iconic Jimmy John Leotode. Franchise Today will be right back, but first, a word from our sponsors. Hey, Stan Friedman here with a word about our newest sponsor. I'm talking about Transitive an amazing marketing platform that actually delivers what others can only imagine, accurate, dependable results that are second to none. All right, without getting too deep into the weeds, Transitive connects franchisees' customer data from all sources, providing high-octane fuel for their marketing engines. They then deploy machine learning, yes, 
artificial intelligence, which identifies various customer traits and habits, attributes that would otherwise likely go unnoticed, and it segments these customers into groups. This is important because, as we know, not all customers provide your franchisees with equal dollar value. But wouldn't it be great if they could easily identify who's who? Well, that's exactly what Transitive does. And what's more, it then accurately drives the appropriate offers to each of those customer groups, delivering specific personalized messages to each of the group's customers. Just like that, your franchisees are engaged in laser-focused target marketing, delivering them much more bang for the buck. You've got to see it to believe it. So what are you waiting for? Order up a demo today and tell them I sent you. Find them online at www.transitive.io. That's www.transitive.io. This portion of Franchise Today is brought to you by Zoracle, providers of spot-on profiles, the gold standard of assessment tools that assure you're selecting the right franchisees every time. Unlike DISC or others that simply gauge personality or communication styles, Zoracle's spot-on assessments are all franchise-specific and based upon seven sciences that nail the results each and every time. Your prospects simply answer a few questions online, and like magic, Zoracle's algorithms scientifically slice, dice, and analyze their thresholds for risk, their business acumen, and even their propensity for single or multi-unit ownership. Zoracle's spot-on analysis is like having a crystal ball, but there's no hoodoo here. It's all based upon science that flawlessly determines franchisee, franchisor compatibility, and accurately predicts performance. Why don't you schedule a demo today? Take a complimentary look and see for yourself. It's the closest thing to a sure thing. Zoracle, spot-on assessments based on science, but delivering results that seems simply magical. Check them out at www.zoracleprofiles.com. Today, I place the spotlight on a guy who has a tremendous nexus with Rourke Capital as the founder of a brand that Rourke has helped grow. Along with his wife, Leslie, for many years, they've been philanthropists extraordinaire. Jimmy John Leotode returns to this special edition of Franchise Today for the second time in two and a half years. Today, though, our discussion will be more about philanthropy than the recent news of the sale of his remaining shares to Inspire Brands. While interesting and topical, we'll save that conversation for a different day. Today's discussion is more about Jimmy John and his heart what he gives, not what he's gotten. This is something that's not spoken about enough when we read and we hear about Jimmy John, but giving and improving the lives of others has always been a cornerstone of his philosophy. Something that I pulled off his personal website says it so well. I can't dance. I've got no rhythm. I can't read, but I'm good at math and I've given lots of passion and energy. I use it all to help others. I love mentoring young entrepreneurs, students who are less fortunate than most, and my team. 14 out of 17 of my department heads came from the sandwich shop and are now millionaires. Boy, if that doesn't say it all, what does? Jimmy John, welcome back to Franchise Today. Uh, thank you very much, Stan. It's good to be here. That's uh, That warmed my heart. 
Well, I think it probably warmed the hearts of 14 of your executives as well, would you say? I, I think that their spouses and their families and their communities and the local home builders and all the other people that benefited from that uh, sharing for sure. So Jimmy, I wanted to spend the time today that we've got together to talk about giving and what it means and, and sharing. And you know, I think you've made some poignant analogies about um, spice means one thing to me and maybe another thing to others. But at the end of the day, it's still something that we all relate to as being hot. Philanthropy has been a big part of your life and you've kind of been giving the whole way through. But when we hear about Jimmy John, we don't hear about that. Why don't you talk with the audience a little bit about what that means to Leslie and to you and and how it is that you do what you do to help others around you grow? Sure. Uh, Stan, if it's okay with you, I'd like to just share with you my journey of getting into uh, helping others way back in the day when I started. And then we can talk about the evolution of my life and and where it's evolved now to where Leslie and I are are doing things together. Back when I started Jimmy John's in Charleston, Illinois, there was a issue in, in Charleston that it had really bad water. And I noticed that when I opened my first store and I was interviewing people that I would interview people and I would interview these wonderful people that had these horrendous, horrendous teeth. And, you know, I was a fat kid when I was little and I was just bullied and teased and beat up on back when, when, when that was okay to do. And as I would interview these beautiful people and they'd come interview with me and they wouldn't have jobs. And so I said, you know, I really need some people in this poor individual interviewing as a wonderful individual, but has these rotten teeth. I, I said, listen, I'm going to hire you. And I would, in, in a safe way, bring up the teeth. I say, you know, would you be open to me fixing your teeth and, and helping you with your smile? And and I did it in a manner that was uh, positive and, and reassuring. And I had a couple of wins way back in 1983 when I opened the first Jimmy John's. And so I'd give a, an individual a smile. My first one was, a, was an old woman by the name of uh, Winola Grant. And I think she's passed away now. And it, it was a situation where, long story short, I did a total rebuild of, of her smile. And she went on to be my, you know, she worked for me for like seven years in Charleston, Illinois. And I said, boy, this is interesting how people get passed over because of how they look. And, and I needed people and, and I needed good people. And, and because people get passed over, uh, because they're judged the way I was judged as a fat kid. I mean, back in the early days and you go into a restaurant by yourself and, and you're a fat guy, they put you back in the corner, you know, upstairs. And, and if you walk into a restaurant and you're a beautiful person, they put you right in front and showcase you. That was my, that was my life. So long story short, my journey of helping people. I needed help at Jimmy John's as I started helping by, by fixing teeth. So move the ball forward. I opened up that first store in Charleston and replaced myself. And Winola was the manager there. And I moved out to Macomb, Illinois. And, and I opened up my second store at Western Illinois University. And I had a gal there by the name of Mary McCarty. And it was a similar situation. And, and I, I fixed her teeth. And, and she ended up running that store and then becoming an area manager for me. And then as my journey continued on, it was just became just part of my, part of my MO. I'd hire people and they're wonderful people. And, and I started fixing things for them and doing things for them that they couldn't do for themselves. Whether it would be a tattoo in the wrong place, I'd fix that, or they would mutilate themselves with gauges in their ears when they were young and and making decisions that weren't quite in the best interest of their long-term self, best self. And and so I started repairing gauges and I started doing things like this and and, and helping people with their self-esteem. And so when I could take an individual and I could take these big, giant, quarter-size 
holes in their ear and I could repair that mutilation and, and I could line them up with the Jimmy John's training program and the journey at Jimmy John's and provide them not only self-esteem, but an opportunity to grow as much as they wanted to grow. It was just sort of this natural, beautiful harmony that was uh, not because I'm philanthropic or because I'm virtuous or because I give back, but because it was a winner-winner. It was a beautiful symbiotic harmony. So that became just part of my MO and how I lived my life. And then uh, my mother, whose name is Grzyna Lieto, was Grzyna Gudaita. She was a, a Lithuanian refugee. And she came from Lithuania uh, when she was about 10 years old when Russia invaded Lithuania in the middle of the night. They were bombed out of their home. She spent two years on the run uh, and ended up in a DP camp in, in Germany and finally came to uh, America, to Ellis Island, uh, came to Chicago, to the Lithuanian community. Uh, she came, she was about 13 or 14 years old, early 50s when she they finally got over here. She uh, went to University of Illinois. My mother was homecoming queen at University of Illinois, met my father, they got married. And my father was an entrepreneur as well. My father was a, a book salesman and then he uh, became a plastic molder and we went through a couple of bankruptcies back when I was a kid. And we came out of that back in 76 was my dad's last bankruptcy. And my dad said, I'm never going to have debt again. He had more success. And my mother said, you know, I'm going to start bringing kids from Lithuania uh, that have bone disorders. I don't know how she chose bone disorders and bring them to Chicago and help them and, and repair these bone disorders. So she would go find kids that were specifically scoliosis or uh, the spine was grown, you know, like an S or total bone, uh, bone issues. And she had a relationship with Shriners Hospital in Chicago, and she would bring one of the parents and the child to Chicago. So they'd be two months, six months, eight months, and she would put them up and, and she would uh, take care of their expenses and bills and fix these kids. And I noticed my mom was doing this and I started to have some success in, in the mid 90s. And so I started, you know, joining my mom and giving a few bucks for it. Well, pretty soon we said, you know, these hotels are expensive. Let's buy a house where we could put these people up in a house in Lamont in the Lithuanian neighborhood. So we bought a house in Lamont, Illinois, and we started bringing over three and four and five, six kids from Lithuania and fixing their bones. And meanwhile, I'm still doing all the stuff at Jimmy John's, but this is my journey of, of philanthropy. I just want to set the stage. So we would bring these families over and Dr. Lubicki at Shriners Hospital in Chicago, he was the lead uh, uh, surgeon and he would all donate it and, and we would take these children and transform them and change their lives and, and then send them back to Lithuania. Well, that evolved. And then we said price or the president of Lithuania got elected. His name was Valdis Adamkis. And he was a Chicago guy that he was also a refugee, moved back to Lithuania. We actually helped him get elected with funding. And he was the, the guy that spearheaded Lithuania becoming part of the European Union. When Valdis Adamkis got elected, and my father and I were the, were the largest contributors of that. And, you know, by the way, just so that the, you all know, it was like $200,000. Once that happened and, and, and Lithuania really started to prosper, my mom said to me, Jimmy, why don't we go and do and help do a hospital in Lithuania and let's modernize it and we can see about getting donations in America. And my mom said, I need $300,000 to put in some German windows. I mean, there's literally these windows had no seals between the openings and the windows. They needed good windows in the hospital. And so my first real big philanthropic issue was, putting these, I did these windows in the hospital for my mother and my mother 
She arranged all the donations of equipment and all containers and containers of stuff. Then we basically transformed this entire hospital in Lithuania. And then we brought the doctors from Lithuania to Chicago and trained them in Chicago and then brought them back to Lithuania. Then the doctor group from Chicago went to Lithuania and they helped them all and got and, and made this whole thing just become this beautiful, self-sustaining thing. And that was you know, and I did that with my mother and it was such a wonderful thing to do. And it was such a feel good. And we just did it because it was my mother's homeland. And so, so that was my experience with philanthropy back in the early nineties. And, and before I, I met Leslie, I met Leslie in 1998. And then we move it fast forward in, into the journey of Jimmy John's and things that, that I did as I, and this is unscripted. This is all on memory. And when I think about uh, when we started franchising the business in 94, it was rather informal. And then we formalized our training center and our corporate offices in the early 2000s. And, and we were bringing in, you know, people from all over the country uh, into our three-week Jimmy John's training program. And one thing that now was really for sure was that people's self-esteem is so sensitive. And when people are judged by a smile or a mutilation or a bad tooth or a, a scar or, or something like that, people are simply judged and they're put in a category of inferior. And not only do they feel that way because society makes them feel that way. I mean, look at what Hollywood, they still make fun of obese people, right? And, and they make fun of things that it's okay to make fun of. And, and you see these people, I have these kids coming into training that are trying to find a life, but they have one of these issues. So one thing that we did is we created an alliance with a doctor in Champaign by the name of Dr. Scott Anderson, whose office was about a block and a half from our Jimmy John's training center in Champaign, Illinois. And he always kept a chair for us uh, at his office. And so when, when the new uh, trainees would come to Champaign, Illinois, uh, every, every Monday a new class started, you know, 50, 60, 70 people come in, we'd make them smile and happy. And one thing that we looked for was, is there anything that we can do to help these people while they're here that they can't do for themselves? And these are, these are kids that work for other franchisees. They're not, they're not our employees. They're just, I want to help people with their self-esteem. So we would make them smile and then identify people that we might be able to assist, whether it be a plastic surgery, fix a gauge or, or something with teeth and a smile. And we would pull them out of class, you know, later on a day or two later. And, and uh, Kim Landry, who's our director of training, had incredible bedside manner. And she would approach them and say, you know, you're a wonderful person. Would you be interested in, in having us help you with this issue? And I'm telling you, Stan, I don't know how many hundreds and hundreds of people that we did things for where we would replace a tooth. I mean, literally, Dr. Anderson would literally, if training was two to three weeks long, he would literally rebuild an entire mouth in coordination with, with the different surgeons and the different people. He would re rebuild an entire rack in two to three weeks time. And they not only would they go home with a, with a certificate and training, they go home with a new smile. And so that was just kind of the way I've done it, Stan. I just kind of, I, I knew how people feel. I, I, I know how people feel when they have issues where they're prejudged. And being an individual who's been prejudged my entire life, it is absolutely painful and hurtful. And, and you just go back and say, you know, I guess I just kind of deserve to feel this way because society tells me, movie stars tell me I should feel awful about myself. 
And, you know, I go back and I, and I change these people's lives. And so, you know what, I just keep doing it. And that's really the basis of what I've done. I try to help people with self-esteem and self-confidence in any way that I can. And I've done it just because, you know, just because. And so that's a little bit of my journey. And I'll let you now uh, ask me, Stan, if you want to move it in, in whatever direction you want to move the conversation. And I appreciate you letting me talk for so long. Jimmy, that's what this is all about. Really, this is all about hearing your heart. And I don't think that your passion can be disguised or better spoken for by anything I might have said. I'm happy to have let you just continue on. I want to just share a quote with you that I heard that I think really, really speaks to you pretty well. Entrepreneurship is living a few years of your life like most people won't so that you can live the rest of your life like most people can't. Now, that's not just about selfish or about being able to do things because you can now, but it's also about the fact that part of those things that you want to do are the things that you've been sharing with the audience. It's, it's not just about you going to bed at night knowing that you can buy another car or you can buy another house, but that you've made a change in the lives of others. And I think that's a part of you that we just don't hear enough about. We, we don't, we don't boast about it, right? We don't, we don't talk about it, right? It's not, it's not what we do. You know, I mean, we do it because it's the right thing. I do know what you mean, but that's the character though of franchising. That's the beauty of people like you that have grown an organization in a business model that requires interdependency. It's not just about you. It's about the people that are on your team and it's about the people that you serve and you as a leader, part of yourself above and beyond the brand and the growth of the brand and the core business of the brand. It's about being a part of the lives of the people that are part of your life. And I think that's something that more people need to, to do more of. You've kind of, in, in the research I've done, Jimmy, I've kind of seen that you've gone into some segments in philanthropy. You've spoken about health and wellness here already, but I think you've got a passion too for education and for the military and for the arts. Why don't you talk about some of these places that you've helped make changes in the lives of those that have come into your path? Well, we'll go ahead and start with education. You know, I graduated last in my high school class and uh, there was a guy that that helped me through high school by the name of of Jim Lyons. They want to kick me out of my school. And he said, "Uh, if you kick Jimmy out, I'm going to leave too. And they said, well, uh, if we let him stay, then you got to take care of him. And you got to make sure that that Jimmy doesn't get in trouble and and you got to watch over him. And Jim Lyons watched over me and he got me through high school. And and from that, you know, I was dyslexic and I didn't know I was dyslexic and I have ADD and I didn't know I had ADD and I'm a smart guy, but uh, I couldn't, I didn't know that because I was ADD and I was dyslexic, the teachers assumed that I was they knew that I was somewhat smart, but they also at the same time thought that maybe I was I was a bit of a, a smart ass because of my inability to comprehend. They're like, well, if Jimmy would just apply himself. Well, in, with dyslexia and ADD, you know, I can read a book, but I, I can't comprehend the book. So long story short with education, my first big give back in education was I gave a million dollars to Elgin Academy, my high school, and they wanted to name it the Leoto Upper School. And I said, there's no way you're naming it the, the Leoto Upper School. You're naming it the Leoto Lions Upper School. And then I brought Jim Lyons uh, to the school and we, and we broke the bottle or we had the celebration. And, and that was that I did that. At the same time, my father uh, was interested in partnering with the University of Illinois. He wanted to give some to 
and named the University of Illinois Chicago campus the Leoto Business School. So I partnered with my father also back in the early 2000s, and we together gave a significant amount of money. I think it, I would, it doesn't matter what it was, multiple millions of dollars, and it's now the, the Leoto Business School at UIC in Chicago. So I did that. That was important to my dad, and my dad was a wonderful guy, so I joined him in, in that journey. And then from then, as far as education goes, I can't tell you how many people that I put through college, how many people I put through private high school, how many people that I've just done it, that I've just done it. You know, but if I was to guess, I would say that uh, between the ones that I've done on the side and the Horatio Alger Association, which I'm, I'm a member of, which is about providing education for kids that are that come from really, really tough families. I, you know, I don't know, uh, Stan, I probably put 50 to 100 kids uh, through college, you know, and I, again, you know, these are all situational. These are employees, kids or kids that I know or kids that I met at Horatio Alger, or these are just, I like to invest in people that are going to help themselves. I like to invest in, in situations where 99% of the money goes to the individual who's actually trying to help themselves and not to a, a situation where it, it goes to administration and executives and, and all the, these other, this other stuff. So I really, you know, I'm a big believer in it. And Horatio Alger Association has uh, been one of the greatest associations that I've become a part of because it's, it, it helps children that come from disadvantaged situations. And whether you're disadvantaged because you're obese or you're disadvantaged because you're poor. I mean, some of these, I, I met this gal, I remember at Horatio Alger Association when she was 14 years old, she lost her parents or her parent, uh, she became, she was the caregiver for her younger sister. Then she got pregnant. And this woman graduated at 17 years old from her high school, valedictorian of her class as a mother and raising her, her younger, younger kid. If you can't help a person like this, if you don't think an individual like this is worth investing in, then I'm sorry. What a great segue into the folds of honor and your commitment to the military and the families of those that have lost in service to our country. Why don't you speak a little bit about that, Jimmy? Sure. Well, Folds of Honor, once again, Major Dan is is such a winner. I partnered with Dan before it was Folds of Honor was as big as it is right now. And I met Major Dan and he just knocked me off my feet. I'm a guy, I'm not educated in investing, but I've learned that I bet the jockey, not the horse. And Major Dan, when I met Major Dan, I said, this guy is my kind of guy. Dan is going to go on and he's going to do great things. And my father fought the Korean War. My big brother, Greg, uh, was a uh, drove an armor personnel carrier. My little brother Robbie was at Fort Ord. Uh, but you know, we were my, my family were big military servers, and, and so you know, I had some military background. Major Dan was a winner, and I, I just really liked him, and he inspired me, and so I gave that million dollars to to Major Dan for Folds of Honor, which was a critical point. And and Dan had had Budweiser and Heiser Bush was a big giver at the time, but it, it was good for Dan and it was good for us, and I did it because it felt right. But since then. As far as the military goes, all my contributions to the military uh, stuff have been very much under the radar. I have tried every time I hear of a, of a Navy SEAL or one of these special forces guys who've been killed, I've reached out and I have made significant donations. The last one was, uh, there was one about a year and a half ago where one of our special forces was killed and I, I actually sent $100,000 to the family and never heard from the woman. And I was, it was an interesting situation. I had met up with a, a couple of Navy SEALs through different situations. And, and I had shared with them, I said, you know, I, I sent $100,000 to the, the widow of this individual. Do you know her? They're like, yes, we do. We'll contact her. And so anyway, she contacted me. She said, I'm so sorry. 
I received it. I, I was overwhelmed. But uh, long story short is I do private donations to families where they have been uh, hurt or killed in the line of duty. And I just do that. And I do that on my own and I do it without fanfare. And I do it because gosh, darn it. You know, if we're not going to look after these people that are looking after us, who's going to look after them. And again, for me, it's just what I do and I do it because I can do it. And I just love America. And I love the opportunity to provide it myself, my mother, you know, my father was a first Leoto with an education. My dad's mixed race. And, you know, he fought the Korean War and went to University of Illinois in the GI Bill. So America's a beautiful place. And it's just what I do. And I'm going to continue to do it quietly until I pass on. And uh, and so that's th- that's where that comes from. What about the arts, Jimmy? I know that you and your wife both have a passion for the arts. And again, I think it goes back not just to big symphonies and to big orchestras and big events but to what the arts do for our kids as well and for youth, which seems to be a a big part of your heart space, is trying to help youth have a better start in life perhaps than you did. What about the arts? Well, I really think that, uh, well, first of all, my wife is a ballerina. And uh, and I met Leslie when she was 23 years old and I was 33 and we got married. She got pregnant when she was young. She had a four-year-old son when I met her. She couldn't dance anymore, and then we had two children. And but she was always, always, always into the arts. And so my wife, who then she evolved in, into becoming a writer, uh, she she started writing. She started writing books, and then she started writing plays. And one of her plays got picked up in Kansas City, and the play got put on stage, and it got notoriety in a small town in Kansas City. And that evolved into a play that she wrote in, and was produced in Chicago. And it was supposed to be a three-month run. And it was called Southern Gothic. It was supposed to run for three months early 2018. And it ended up running for a year and 11 months and just had its last show October 28th uh, of this year uh, in Chicago. And so my wife is big into the arts. And she her show was wildly successful. She's now got a, a big-time book deal. And her show, Southern Gothic, is in the process of being, I I believe, going to Washington, D.C. and New York. So Leslie is totally opposite of me. So it started out, um, you know, as far as my giving to the arts, it started out with a radio jack friend of mine in Chicago named Mankow Muller was uh, good friends with Bob Ritchie, who's a.k.a. Kid Rock. And before the economy started really turning around in downtown Detroit, Kid Rock had done a lot of philanthropic giving to Detroit. He did his brewery. He did his restaurant. He did uh, just a ton of give back in his community. And there was a they were doing a, a fundraiser with the Detroit Symphony to help rebuild the, the opera house in Detroit. And so I had uh, and we we had made an extraordinary amount of money in the state of Michigan while Michigan was just struggling and in a really, really, really bad place. I had uber success with Jimmy John's. So it was an opportunity opportunity for me to, to give back and into uh, Detroit. And one thing led to another. And then whether it's a Champaign-Urbana Symphony or it's uh, the Goodman Theaters or, or whatever else it is, you know, I've just been, you know, I've just been a giver to the arts. And, and so at this point in time, Leslie and I don't have a strategic plan for the arts, but we will allocate a portion of it. And I'm just going to let Leslie do it in the arts. And, and then also at the same time, if I can extrapolate on it, I brought my children. We have a, a family meeting every year about a week before Christmas. And we talk about, we, we actually formally identify all the giving that we've done for the year. And then what we do is, is we get together with the kids. And I, I did it two years ago. I said, kids, I want you to 
come together and, and figure out for you what's important to you. And, and I'd like you kids uh, to, to help us allocate money from our foundation to give to uh, what's important to you. Uh, and then there was, uh, there's, a, there's another cool project the kids uh, wanted to do, which is a project in Illinois called the Farmway. And we, we have a, a musician friend of ours by the name, uh, the band is called Hello Dave and the lead is called is Mike Heimbaugh. And Mike just loves taking horses and retired horses and letting them live. And so anyway, we have, uh, we did, we, we, we made a significant donation to the farmway in Illinois that enabled them to buy this farm. And they're just doing this wonderful thing. And I'm part of the Everglades Foundation down in Florida, which is involved in cleaning up the water. The, unfortunately with the, with the sugar cane and how with technology, it's really eliminated the filter system that the Everglades provides Florida and really, you know, and that's what's causing the red tide, right? So we're trying to clean up the Everglades. We want the sugarcane farmers to be able to grow sugarcane, but we want to do it in a way that allows the Everglades to breathe and, and to filter the water because we really got to get rid of this red tide, which is killing the uh, uh, the reefs down in Florida. What else am I working on? What else are we doing? Camp Southern Ground. When you take a guy like Zach Brown, I mean, this guy is a guy I met Zach seven or eight years ago. And he was, you know, all of his group was in a van and I, I watched him play in a little location. They had a van. I met this guy and became close to him. And, and he had this dream of his camp and Zach had more success and, and more success. And, and he had, this guy's a visionary and his vision is, I mean, this guy's maybe one of the most powerful forces that I've ever met uh, in my life. And I've watched him grow as a musician and I've watched him become not only a superstar, but a megastar and become intimate with him. And he had this dream of Camp Southern Ground. And I saw Camp Southern Ground when it was just a property with a bunch of bulldozers parked there. And so he started doing projects and doing projects at, at Camp Southern Ground. And I said, I want to be part of this. This is like Major Dan. I, I, I want to, I'm going to bet the jockey, not the horse here. And if you could see what Zach Brown has done with Camp Southern Ground. It's one of our biggest charitable donations, multiple millions of dollars to Camp Southern Ground. But he is bringing kids uh, from disadvantaged kids, but specifically with autism and that have issues with, uh, you know, with spectrum children. And he has taken these kids at this camp and he is working on their diet and removing gluten and sugar from their diet and serving them and cleaning their bodies through a healthy uh, nutrition program at Southern Ground together with exercise and education, then working on, on them, whether it be swimming or, or doing different activities or obstacle courses or whatever it is. And he's, he's taking these kids and he's changing their lives. So Camp Southern Ground is one where, you know, it's been a seven, five, seven year commitment over there at Camp Southern Ground. And, and it's just one of those amazing things where this guy is taking people and changing their lives and at his own. And then he, he's doing concerts and giving all the money on his own to Camp Southern Ground. I mean, this guy is so, so incredible. It's, it, it's, it's so wonderful to invest in a guy where when you invest, you know, what he does with it, it's just exponential. It's not like investing in, you know, in some charity where, where you never see it again. So anyway, I really, so that's just been incredibly soul filling. We've been doing medical stuff and, and helping kids for a long time, but we are significantly invested in the Lurie Children Hospital, MD Anderson Cancer, Mayo Clinic, the Pancreatic Cancer Network, and, and all that really. My father died of pancreatic cancer. So you know what? That was pretty natural thing to give to Stan was, was pancreatic cancer. You know, it's interesting, as I sit here and talk to you, Stan, 
I just am realizing how much we've really done. And I really never, ever, ever sat down and tried to think about it. You're amazing. You are so amazing. I'm going to ask you to do one thing more, Jimmy. And I'm going to ask you to do something that I ask my guests each week to do for the audience. The audience comes here as emerging franchisors. They come here as franchise executives. And they come here to get nuggets. They want to be able to go home having learned something from those who are already there. And Jimmy, what you've shared, you've shared so much about what you've done. And really what I think the audience is going to remember is how you've made them feel because your heart is so real. What do you say to this audience that hasn't yet adopted philanthropy or giving back as part of their mantra? Sure. Well, I think that first of all, what's most important is that philanthropy, it has to feel natural. Uh, it's got to be natural and it's got to be genuine to you. And if it's genuine to you and, and if it feels right to you, you can start by doing small things. For the last, I don't know, five, seven years, I've, do, I've done in Champaign, Illinois, I've taken every single sixth grader, put them on a bus with a, a, a t-shirt. We customize a t-shirt for the special outing. They go on a bus. The bus goes to Chicago and we take them to the Shedd Aquarium or the, the Museum of Science and Industry or the Museum of Natural History. And we give them a box lunch for lunch and we bring them back. And we don't require them to give the $5 or the $10 that typically somebody has to co-pay for a field trip. I mean, we started out just doing one class and then Tina Gilman said to me, who, who runs my foundation, she said, you know, why don't we just do the entire community and do all the schools in, in Champaign-Urbana, take all the kids? And I said, great, let's do it. And so you can start out by taking some kids on a field trip and, and show taking inner city kids that would never, ever, you know, get a Jimmy John's box lunch or a new t-shirt or ride a luxury coach to Chicago and see a museum and get a candy bar and come home. You know, you can, you don't have to be that extravagant. You know, you can, you can start out with whatever is, uh, is natural. We took a high school here in Champaign and every away football game, we did it. We did a box lunch for all the football players and all the cheerleaders and all the people that went to the away game. I mean, it's so simple. I mean, you can just do such little things that are just, uh, that, that are easy to do. And, and so, if you do something that, that, that is comfortable for you, that makes you feel good, then that's wonderful. That, that, then it becomes a win-win. The person, the recipient feels it. You feel it. If you're a believer in God, you know, in order to receive, you've got to give. And so maybe it becomes a bit of a self-serving proposition, but gosh, I'll tell you what, the more I give, the more I receive, Stan. And it, it's just the way it is. And you don't have to be a believer to know that the more you give, the more you receive. I remember there was a the teacher needed some video equipment in Champagne. They needed, you know, $10,000 to do some video equipment in Champagne. I just, we just bought them the video equipment. You know, here you go. Here's, here's your video equipment. So it's, you, you can just start by doing what's natural. Do something for your community. You know, what's something that I did. I struggled in, in school. And, and the teachers thought that I was a, a smart ass and my dad was gone. He was an entrepreneur. He was working a hundred hours a week. And my mother had four children, 11 months apart. She could barely hold on. And my parents didn't have relationships with my teachers. And I really wish my parents did. Because, so what I did is I had relationships with my teachers and every Christmas I'd give them a, a really nice box of chocolate or a really good bucket of that great Garrett's popcorn from Chicago, the half caramel, half cheese. It's so delicious. If you haven't had it, you got to get online and order it or whatever. But I, I made a connection. And then about every month or so, I would deliver all the all the teachers at my kids' schools. I'd serve their whole break room, you know, Jimmy John sandwiches. And if there were vegans, I made them special vegan sandwiches. And if there were, and, and I knew what people wanted and I would do a whole spread for them. So I created relationships. Well, is that charitable? 
I don't know if it's charitable, but it's a nice thing to do for your community. And, it, you know, it's a nice thing to do. It's a nice little surprise. It's a nice little, it's a, given a little love. So my advice to you is find something that makes you feel good. Start out in a small way. If you give $10 or you give $100 or you give your time, I mean, the easiest thing in the world to do, you know, for somebody that has money is, is to give money. But for you to give your time or for you to coach somebody or to be a mentor for a Horatio Alger Association kid, I've got three or four mentees right now with Horatio Alger where they, they, they have an issue or they have a problem. They email me and I'm back to them right away. So you can give back by mentoring somebody. You don't have to give back financially. You, you can help people without money. There's so many ways to do it. I mean, there's so many ways. We, we have a crisis nursery in Champaign, Illinois, that, that helps mothers that are in, in a tough situation that have children. And it's just the most beautiful thing that we went in and we created a, a beautiful playroom for the children that, that we called Camp Jack Pine because Camp Jack Pine is, is where, you know, when I was a kid, that's where I went. And so I named this room. Camp Jack Pine, and I bought toys and you know a bunch of stuff, and and it's now this beautiful thing in Crisis Nursery that's like a shining light in the day of chaos of the women and children that go to Crisis Nursery. So, I, Stan, you asked me a question, and, you know I don't know the answer. I you know the, whether it was I just did. You can do whatever you want to do. Humane Society. I mean, we built a bike trail. We helped finish building a bike trail in in Champaign. I mean, you can do. Whatever you want to do, man, if it feels good and it rocks your world and it makes people smile and you dig making people smile, do it. And I really think people that are the best at hospitality get great joy out of making people smile and serving and making people happy. And so, you know, that's just go find whatever rocks your world and just go do it And because we need you. We need you. Uh, we need everybody to trust their heart in this world of accelerated news and, and iPhones and iPods. It's uh, we, we need to keep it real and, and get back to our communities and, and, and do this stuff. And not because we're virtuous, but because people need help. And help is a beautiful thing. So you can give somebody a smile, give them a hug, buy them a sandwich, buy them a T-shirt, take them on a field trip. Or you can take it as far as naming a building or a business school or building a hospital or changing mutilated bodies or tattoos or humane society or whatever it is you want to do. There's so many wonderful ways to help and give and love. And we need more hugs. Jimmy, you've defined for me what I call in, in four or five words, doing well by doing good. And I don't think there's anybody that I've ever met that makes that so much a part of their life, just living and breathing and doing what they do and making certain along the way that others that are in their sphere are benefiting as well. Jimmy, I can't thank you enough for being here today. I wonder if there's anything you'd like to share with the audience that I haven't asked you or is a parting thought. Gosh, well, first of all, thank you very much for, for letting me do this. This is the first time in my entire life that I've ever looked back on philanthropy and, and what myself and my family have given back. Makes you feel good, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It's uh, it's beautiful. And I and I think when we add it up, I think it's in excess of 20 million bucks that we've contributed back to the world. And, you know, it just, it feels good. I, I, it's bigger than I thought. I didn't realize it because it's part of my life. It's part of my lifestyle and it's the way I roll. So I would just say thank you very much for hearing the side of me that has never been heard. And thank you all you that are hearing me speak for seeing the side of me that 
for some reason doesn't get enough. And, and it felt really good to talk about Mr. Lyons. And when I think back about Zach, when I met him, him and all his guys in a van packed in there, and now they're, you know, this mega band. And I think about Southern Ground with its big buildings and my mom's hospital flourishing. And oh, it's just wonderful. This, it was, this was more of a gift to me. So thank you very much, Dan. Jimmy, it's been an absolute pleasure, and I look forward to hearing more about Horatio Alger and the other things that you allow yourself now to become more involved with as your time will enable you to do so. My audience thanks you, and I thank you for being here today. Remember, you can subscribe to Franchise Today at Block Talk Radio. You can download us anywhere that you can find podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, at iTunes, and you can even ask Alexa to play the latest episode of Franchise Today, and she'll be more than happy to accommodate. Until the next time, I'm Stan Friedman, wishing you the best, the very best of all things franchising, and Franchise Today is out. Franchise Today is a production of FRM Solutions, providing best-in-class CRM tools to empower relationships with perspective and existing franchisees no excuses just solutions find them online at frmsolutions.com join stan every wednesday at noon eastern for another live episode of franchise today or as always download episodes on demand at blogtalkradio.com or itunes